Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. Who else would I be? Um, (laughs) And of course, uh, Mr. David uh, Martini is is here, (laughs) horror gothic himself. So, uh, okay. Uh, okay, so what's what's going on, Dave? You got you got a new bed, hey? Got a new bed, yes. <laughs> I probably be... should have mentioned that. Right? <laughs> well, I, I well, just it was a new mattress, a new mattress. Well, I mean, I mean, is that what you do typically when you kill the people and you rip yes. them all apart and there's all the blood? You just exactly yeah. dispose of the whole mattress. You got to get rid of the whole mattress. You just roll them up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I just thought back of the truck and or van or whatever, and just you just go. I thought I'd check. I I, I knew it was something like that. I mean, I have so all sorts of helpful tips. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually where we start. Martini's helpful tips of yes. murdering the body, disposing the body. disposing of the body, and then how to make a martini afterwards without yeah. spilling a drop, or even during. And then, you know. Yes. Yeah. So that's how we go. <laughs> um, well, yeah. You know, speaking of murder um, <laughs> or gore, uh, we've got a, a horror writer. And uh, and so let's let's just bring him on. Mr. Scott Thomas, thanks for coming in and talking to us. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're always good. You know, we get to kill people, so we're doing good. Great. Um, 
<laughs> I tell you, you know, um, so you have got two two novels out, two books out um, in horror that I've seen. Um, how how did you get involved in this sort of uh, area of writing? Uh, well, you know, I've always loved horror. It's just always been my favorite genre. Um, and when I was, I think in the first grade, I, I, I think I sort of officially wrote my first story. Uh, and, uh, it was, um, I had drawn a picture of a cruise ship, uh, with crayon. And, uh, on the back, I wrote a little, probably like five sentence story about, um, a detective who was on a cruise ship and, and found a dead body and, and uh, a, I think it was a headless body floating next to the uh, the cruise ship, and and uh, and then uh, shot the murderer and killed him. And uh, you know, back then uh, I was encouraged instead of immediately sent to a psychiatrist. And um, and I uh, just kept writing my whole life. Um, and I always loved ghost stories and scary stories. I just always gravitated to that. And um. Just continued to write kind of messed up um, little stories uh, my whole life. And, and um, then, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm grown up and I, and I decided to uh, try my hand at writing a book. So um, the first one I wrote was Kill Creek uh, and that came out in, 20, in 2017. And then uh, the second book I wrote was, was called Violet and that came out in 2019. And, and then since then I've, I've put a novella out that is available digitally that's called The Boy in the Woods, and then I'm working on some, some right, currently working on some other short stories and novellas and kind of hope to put those together in a collection next year. But, um, yeah, you know, it just was, it was just something I always dreamed of doing was writing horror stories. Hmm. What, what, what makes a good horror for you? Like how, what, what, what gets you going, uh, when you read? horror or if you watch a horror movie or story or something like that what is it you look for well you know i'm i think there are there are obviously those sort of guilty pleasures that are just i grew up in the 80s and so i grew up on all those slasher movies and fun things like that and 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 uh you know um but i but for the movies that really stick with me and the books and the stories that really stick with me i I really enjoy a slow burn horror story i really enjoy a a story that kind of takes its time setting the scene and, and gets its claws in you. And I think, um, for me, uh, you know, especially in the way I write, I try to sort of emulate that. And I, I just, um, I think a good, good horror story is one that you just kind of can't shake once you've put it down or you've stopped watching it. It's still just bothering you. It's still under your skin. And I think for me, you know, um, kind of the, you know, I think there's sort of two things. One is, is, uh, you know, I love supernatural, um, horror. I love ghost stories, but also, you know, those stories that like, uh, that are a little too real that maybe could happen, you know, uh, some, that, that there could be someone out there who's decided that they're going to have a little fun doing something awful to you. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's, that uneasy feeling is for some reason pleasurable. Um, so those are the, the kind of stories that I, I really like are ones that, that bother me and disturb me a little bit. So is it the actual action of your character that's disturbing? Um, 
or is it the suspense of it or the unknown kind of what what is it i'm just trying to grasp when you when when you say um when you talk about the um the actual horror the thing that sticks with you uh, yeah you know i think it's i it, it is for me it's it's something invading your everyday life uh, whether it's supernatural or not i think I think that is really the, the horrifying thing. I think as I get older, um, I have a wife and kids and, and that is the, the feeling that, that you kind of have this stability and you have this life that you've built and for something to slowly invade it, whether it's a supernatural entity or it's, or it's, uh, a psychopath or somebody who is just, um, you know, is, who, who is intent on invading that happiness and breaking it apart and destroying it and, and destroying you in the process, I think is, is, uh, is probably where the, the most, I think, disturbing stories come from. Um, uh, and, and I think it is fear of the unknown. I think that is definitely the, um, you know, the, just, just the feeling that, um, you know, I, I try to be a pretty rational person, a pretty logical person, and and the sense that maybe that there are things out there that we can't even that we can't even comprehend, that we can't wrap our heads around. There are forces that just don't care about us and our happiness and and what we want. Um, and they're just uh, out to uh, you know um, do their own thing and 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 cause harm and do awful things. And I think that is uh, you know probably one of the most disturbing things just to think that there's something out there or someone out there who's, whose only goal in life is to, is to uh, destroy everything you hold dear. So are you, um, are, are, are you taking or getting your ideas from, let's say um, just total imagination or do you actually go out and act out your crimes and then write? About yeah. It? Yeah. That's uh, a little <laughs> bit of both. Um, no, I, I, you know, I, I just, I, I find that for whatever reason, my head just kind of works the way that I will. I, I just like taking just things I encounter throughout the day, you know, anything, uh, riding my car, you know, like a, a, a thought will go, you know, into my head or I'll be thinking about one thing. And then I just have always sort of liked twisting that into something dark and, and, uh, and sinister. And what is the sort of scary version of that? And, uh, you know, um, it could be as simple as there was a, a story that I came up with that I'm, uh, working on that, it, it originated with uh, just a children's game that my kids would play that my two daughters would play when they were, when they were younger and they would play it together. And it was, there was nothing disturbing about it. It was just two kids playing uh, sort of like a one pretending to be a mother and one pretending to be the, the child. And I just thought, you know, there's something kind of creepy about this. You know, there's something kind of creepy about these two little kids, one pretending to be an adult and, and they're both pretending to be someone else. And, and, you know, why were, why would they do that? And what's the point of this? And what if there was something really sinister behind this game? And then it spun off into uh, a scary story. And um, so I really like to start with something that's very grounded and very, uh, um, 
you know, it definitely is not sort of the HP Lovecraft um, approach where it's kind of start with the, the, the fantastic, uh, you know, monstrous idea. Um, I really like to start with something that is, is everyday life because that's what scares me. I mean, if it, it, it's got to start with something that I can relate to and that I feel like a reader can relate to. And then, then, uh, you know, it's just in the same way that I think a comedy writer sort of looks at just, things we all experience and goes, what's the funny angle of this? What's going to make people laugh at this? Because it's universal. I like to look at things and say, what's going to scare people about this? How, how could I take this thing that maybe they do every day and uh, make them question it, you know, make them, make them, what's, what's the sort of uh, make them uneasy about it the next time it happens. And, and when you say slow burn, so, I find European writers and shows and series and movies tend to be a lot more of a slow burn for me, as in it takes a long time for them to unravel a, a plot or they're very detailed and it takes you a while. Um, and some of the old classic horrors were kind of based in that kind of writing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, is that sort of where you're at when you say slow burn, when someone would, when they read your book, they're going to get a lot of detail. They are. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yes, I do believe that I sort of proudly say that they are, they are slow burn horror stories. And, and part of that is because I need to feel like the world is real to me as a writer before I, if I expect the reader to, to feel like it's real. And, and part of that is, in Kill Creek, um, you know, it's about basically this not a sort of quick synopsis of Kill Creek is that four horror authors at kind of different stages of their careers um, are invited to this uh, supposedly haunted house uh, to do um, kind of an online publicity stunt in the slash interview um, on Halloween night. And, uh, and so, you know, Part, part of in writing that that was important to me was who are these people spend a little bit of time with them really get to know the characters and then once we got once we get to the house what what what's the layout of this house what is the you know what's the fireplace look like what do the stairs look like what's the molding look like what is the the you know how many chairs are in the kitchen it just i i for me i i like knowing all of those things so that it feels like a very real place to me I like that sense of place. Um, that's very important in, I think, everything that I write. And uh, because those, the, this is the place that is, has, is going to be invaded by whatever this entity is. Uh, in Violet, Violet is basically about a, uh, a woman who, uh, a woman named Chris, who when she was uh, 10 years old, her mother was dying of cancer and her father, uh, they had a lake house in their family and their father said, well, you know, we'll, Instead of just having your mom in a, in a hospital room for, you know, until the end of her life, what if we will go to this lake house, we'll spend the last weeks with her and try to make it as beautiful as possible, even though it's going to be, you know, very difficult. And so they did that. And it was very difficult for Chris. She was 10 years old. And so she was there by herself with her father and her dying mother. And, and to kind of pass the time and cheer her up, she made up a, an imaginary friend named Violet. And Chris and Violet played all summer together. And then when her, when Chris's mother died, Chris left and her dad left and she never went back to this house. And now she's 40 years old. She has an eight year old daughter of her own. Um, Chris's husband has just died in a car accident. And, uh, 
she said, she thinks to herself, I still have this lake house in the family. Maybe we'll go there, spend the summer there, try to kind of have the summer of healing like I did. And then she goes and uh, the longer they stay there, the more she realizes her daughter is now playing with an imaginary friend named Violet. And that maybe Violet wasn't so imaginary and maybe Violet's been there alone in this house for 30 years, abandoned. And, um, and so for me, the, the kind of approaching that, I really had to ask myself, well, what, you know, where is this house? What's the house look like? But also it's on a lake. What is the lake like? You know, it's, there's a lake town. How is, how is, how have the events of this story affected everyone in this town? And so it really became not only a haunted house story, but a, a haunted town story that everyone there was kind of living in the shadow of something they didn't even know. They didn't, they hadn't fully comprehended, but it was this sadness and this, this sort of evil that was slowly infecting them all and kind of casting the shadow over the town. So a sense of place is very, very important to me. Um, I think, uh, and, and that's, that's some of the things, you know, one of the things that I love about some of my favorite horror movies, um, obviously the shining, there's a, you know, huge sense of place with the overlook hotel. Uh, and I consider that a, a very slow burn. Um, the, uh, you know, the haunting, the original haunting uh, movie, um, and, uh, based on the haunting of Hill house, it is just uh, the changeling with George C. Scott. All these horror movies have this real, you, you, you feel like you could go to this house. You feel like that it is, it is, you know, so unique and, and to this story that you could, you just imagine yourself there. Well, I was wondering, you know, with, um, you're writing slow burn horror, uh, the slow burn horror novels, and then you're also writing uh, screenplays, which I, you know, have to be, I, I believe, you know, more efficient. And I just wonder if do you have, uh, is it difficult to transition between those uh, two types of uh, uh, fiction writing? Uh, it's not really that difficult to transition, but they are definitely two different styles. You do have to kind of get your brain back in the mode of uh, you're right in the in in writing a screenplay. Um, you know, pretty much everything you write is something that needs to be seen on the screen. You can, you can cheat a little and you can write uh, some action that kind of helps the, the reader or the actor or the director who's going to be directing those actors really understand the, the headspace of, of the characters. But for, you know, for the most part, every word you write needs to be something that can be seen on the screen. Whereas with novels, kind of the, the, beauty of that is you can go off on, di on digressions you can you can live longer in people's heads and really hear their thoughts and things can be much more internal i i uh have um adapted both kill creek and and violet um into screenplays and, and and i'm in the process of trying to get those uh going as films and um they it it's you know, that was the challenge, especially with Violet, was you're so much in Chris's head and in her daughter's head, Sadie's head, uh, in those, in that book, that I really had to find ways of, of bringing that out into the world and go, and going, well, if we can't, you know, you don't want it to be the whole thing to be voiceover. So if there's no voiceover, we're not really in their heads. How do we see that? How do we, you know, see, um, the things that they were thinking in the book and how, how do those manifest in the real world? And, that is a challenge. I mean, it was a fun challenge. Um, and there are some different things that came out of that that are in, uh, 
in the screenplay that weren't in the book. Uh, and uh, also with Kill Creek. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, I also, I do, uh, uh, for the past, you know, 15 years or so, I've, I've made a living uh, doing kids and family shows. Um, so I do, a, you know, I've created and, and run shows for Disney Channel and Netflix and, and uh, written movies for, for Nickelodeon and, and, um, and so I, I'm uh, not only transitioning a lot of times between books and screenplays, but also between family comedies and horror. Uh, and, um, horror has always sort of been like recess for me. It's just fun. It's just when I really get to relax and run free. And, uh, so I, I really, really enjoy that. Hmm. Probably have some bodies in your attic or something. Like you know, there's so <laughs> much stored in my attic. I don't think there'll be room for bodies. Uh, it's mostly we won't tell. It's anyone. mostly holiday decorations and uh, boxes of books that I don't have uh, room to display. So um, sure. Yeah. So you I can, you can. I think if I had bodies, it would just be one too many things. It would. Uh, yeah. Push me over the yeah. edge. Yeah. You can say what you want. Mm-hmm. But we know. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just so you actually make the um, the location a character in a sense. Yes, definitely. I I think uh, w- with Kill Creek especially, the house is a character. Um, the 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 house, it, you know, has a goal. It has wants. It has desires, and it and it. Um, uh, I really saw it as as important as a care uh, of a character as anyone else in, in the book. And I think that comes across. I mean, uh, the prologue of Kill Creek is really all about the history of the, of the Finch house, which is the house on Kill Creek. And, um, and that, that was a lot of fun because I really got to sort of dive in and, and understand the history of this house. And then there was a moment as I was writing about one of the other characters that I realized kind of thematically what every character was going through. And that helped, uh, that really helped me with the house as well, because I realized the house is going through the same thing. You know, Kill Creek is really about not wanting to be forgotten. The links we will go to, to, to leave something behind or, you know, uh, uh, why do we tell stories? Why do we write books? Why do we, you know, have children? Why do we uh, do these things that sort of in some way, um, you know, if done right, will, uh, allow us to live beyond our, our own lives and our own death. And the house is, I realized as I was writing about these other characters who were doing this, who write for a living, who tell stories to kind of almost, uh, you know, be remembered uh, forever, that the house is doing the same thing. The house survives on stories and the house needs stories and it wants to be remembered. Uh, and that became a big theme. And I think that making the house a, a character really helped thinking of it that way really helped uh, sort of, you know, structure the book. Your characters themselves, like the main characters, um, who are they? Like, where do they come from for you? Do you, um, and, and what's your relationship with the, with the characters, I should say? Because that's, that's kind of always a weird one for me because I, I write uh, nonfiction books, so I, I'm not dealing with much uh, creativity on that end. And, uh, and I hear so many stories, you know, but so many writers, fiction writers will say, well, my char- characters are my kids or they're like my family or they're whatever. You mm-hmm. know, I, I hear this, this, this kind of thing come from people. So how would you explain? I guess, describe or explain who your characters are. 
Well, I, I think for me, a lot of times, and, and I'll get into Kill Creek in a second because that actually is a little bit of a unique situation. But with me in general, with characters, I find that I often either, uh, you know, I like to give them an as uh, kind of an aspect of my own personality or maybe something I've experienced so that I can I can uh, kind of know no matter how small um, I can feel a connection to them. But I also think that a lot of times the most fun characters are writing about people who you kind of wish you were, you know, the type of person you wish you could be in certain situations. I think it's, and I, I, I don't think that's really limited to writers. I think a lot of us, you know, almost all of us will be, you know, in a situation and, and uh, we'll, you know, an hour later or a day later, we'll, we'll think, Oh, I should have said that, or, you know, Oh, I should have reacted that way. Or, or I wish I had handled that differently. Or I wish I was that kind of person who could have, you know, stood up in that moment and done that or, and uh, and the the beauty of writing is you can create that character who does do that. Uh, and I think that um, with Kill Creek, I knew it was good. It was about uh, four horror authors, and I really wanted each of them to kind of represent a different subgenre of horror. It really was kind of my love letter to to horror, and um, and so I I wanted to base them a little bit on authors that I read growing up and that I've always loved and, and also authors that I, I know uh, have been very popular um, with, uh, you know, with audiences and, and have really are at the top of their game in, in, um, in their own little subgenres. And so with, uh, I, you know, there were four authors. There's Sam McGarver, who is probably the most like me. He's from the Midwest. He, he's from Kansas like I am. And, and he, um, he's more of the kind of grew up on Stephen King, you know, he's sort of that, uh, that type of, um, very, you know, writes horror that is, is kind of small town, uh, Midwestern horror and kind of how, how, uh, uh, evil sort of invades these very normal places, um, how horror can, and, and, and super, uh, you know, a supernatural story can happen in these very normal this quote unquote normal places. Um, and then there's TC Moore, who, uh, I sort of thought of as kind of a, a female Clive Barker. Um, and, uh, she writes very visceral, violent, sexual, uh, horror stories. And, um, and that's, she's a very aggressive person. She's a very sort of doesn't mind shocking you with the things that she says out loud and that are in her head. Um, and in fact, that's a little bit of her armor is that's the way she kind of protects herself in situations is, is by putting you uh, on the back foot and, and, and sort of making you uneasy first. And then there's uh, Sebastian Cole, who is kind of the, the elder statesman of the group. He's, he's the father figure to all of them. He's, uh, it's funny because, you know, like I said, I grew up in the eighties and I still think of Stephen King as like being, you know, in his forties. Uh, and, uh, he's not, you know, now he's what in his seventies. And, and, um, so I guess, whereas I always thought of Sebastian Cole in Kill Creek as more like Ray Bradbury or somebody like that, that, that the Stephen Kings of the world grew up reading. He's really Stephen King now. He's, he's this sort of older master of the genre who, um, who everyone was influenced by. And, and he's a very elegant, uh, you know, person and, and in, in Kill Creek, he is sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, a legend, a living legend. 
Uh, and then there's Daniel Slaughter is the fourth one. And, and, um, you know, I didn't grow up. I was a little, t- I'm a little too old to have grown up reading goosebumps and things like that, but I do my kids, my, especially one of my daughters, my youngest daughter loves those books. And, um, and I know a lot. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot of people who are a little bit younger than me who grew up reading Goosebumps and R.L. Stein, And so I really wanted to, to also represent that part of horror, that Daniel is someone who writes for teenagers um, and, and tweens. And he, uh, writes for, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, more about school and about things that they would, they would experience. And so, um, so that was a really unique thing in creating characters for that book because it was, it was, I was really sort of basing them on, you know, real life, uh, writers and not, not necessarily, I'm not saying that that's who they are in the book, but it definitely, they were inspired by, by, uh, those people and other writers like them. Um, and you know, the fun thing about someone like Moore, TC Moore, who's very, very tough and, and, and definitely controls, you know, every situation she comes into that again, another is an example, like I was talking about of writing a character that isn't me, you know, I, I, I have, I'm, I'm definitely a little more of an introvert and, and, uh, 
not always feel, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the guy who the next day goes, God, I wish I had said this. I wish I'd done it differently. And so it's fun to write a character like that who really owns every situation. Uh, you're creating your characters. Can, um, and you're writing them down. Can, can you hear the characters in your head? Or are you more, because, because I'm sure you're very visual <laughs> from, um, from uh, your work in uh, TV and, and film, um, are you more translating images uh, into prose? Um, how does that work for you? Uh, with my characters, I, I really, it's funny because my wife, you know, sort of has lived with the crazy of, of being with the writer for so long. And she'll, she still thinks <laughs> it's funny that I will, sometimes I'll be like, just kind of sitting there and, and, I'm like, well, I'm not really quite ready to write this story yet. I'm just kind of letting the characters talk or talk in my head a little bit. Like I'm, I'm letting them sort of like get to know each other and I'm getting to know them. And it sounds crazy and it is a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> and it's not literal. I don't mean that exactly literally, but I do mean that for me, um, real, I really have to understand each, each person's voice. And, uh, and I think, Sometimes that comes from not just sitting down and immediately writing them. It's it's just thinking about them a little bit and 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 fleshing them out in my head and letting their letting uh, kind of putting myself in their their minds and and in their mindset and uh, you know letting those those voices sort of chat with each other in my brain um, before it goes down on paper and. Uh, Obviously, dialogue is is you know such an incredible way of of uh, of getting character across and 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 how people talk to each other, how people uh, you know two two people will will deal deal with the same situation differently. Um, that's a lot of fun to me. Is I, I do enjoy writing uh, dialogue, but I also when it comes to everything else, I, I am pretty descriptive. I some say some may say I'm too descriptive, uh, but I, I enjoy it because I I like like I said I really like uh, you know no, not only knowing the the what these people look like and what the places the settings look like and and what and kind of all the aspects of it, but also just the power of words. You know, I, I do. I'm definitely not someone who just sits down and can pound out a story in an afternoon. I, I like to kind of labor over everything and, and, um, and, and let it kind of flow in an interesting way so that, uh, especially, you know, I think Kill Creek is also very much about the power of words and about the power of things that we write and say and how those things can be positive and they could be negative And, 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 uh, if those things start to spread and catch on with other people, how that can cause, you know, harm at times. And, so I, I really enjoy, uh, and I think that's the writers that I, I like reading are people that I feel like have really thought about, you know, every sentence that went in. And so I kind of try to do the same. What do you, what do you think of this, this modern day world of, of, um, marketing and self-publishing and stuff? Um, and I say that because, you know, um, you know, you can get reviews. People can say, well, they don't like this or they don't like that. You can get all sorts of things uh, nowadays and and uh, all sorts of interactions with people that you don't know. Um, 
like do you drink a lot or do you <laughs> like how do you how do you deal with the the access that it is now uh you know i used to obsess over it and now i kind of just try to block it out i think that it's i i think it's fantastic that um that people have the ability to well first of all i think it's fantastic that people have the ability to self-publish and to get their stuff out there i think that's i think that the sort of the book world is still a very hard nut to crack. And uh, it was for me. I mean, I, I, I wrote Kill Creek and then sat on it for about 10 years or maybe 12 years before I could get it published because I just couldn't get anyone to read it. I couldn't get it, get it in the right hands. And uh, the way I got it published was very, very random. I ended up, I saw that there was a, uh, I just kind of accidentally found a, a manuscript competition that was um, uh, through the Launchpad. Um, it was it was called the Launchpad Manuscript Competition uh, in association with the Tracking Board, which is you know a, a website um, about uh, uh, sort of Hollywood news. And and um, there was uh, this everybody involved seemed legit. Ridley Scott's company, uh, production company was one of the sponsors and there, and there were several others or some agents and managers who were involved in it. And one of the companies happened to be this really small, um, uh, publisher out of Oakland called ink shares. And I entered kill Creek in that contest and it ended up making the top 10. It didn't win, but it made the, the top 10 and, uh, so the head of ink shares called me and said, Hey, you didn't win, but we, we love this book and we'd love to publish it. And so that suddenly I, you know, was working with them and had an editor and was rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. And, and finally, uh, they put it out and they really got behind it. But, um, and then they published Violet and, but it, it you know, it, it's just, that was sort of a fluke. Um, that was just, uh, so I do, I do appreciate that people have the ability to self-publish and to really get their stuff out there. I think that's awesome. Um, the, the criticism is a little much sometimes. I think I get that uh, a lot, you know, there are a lot of wonderful people who are very thoughtful and on Instagram and on Twitter and everything else, they, they review books and they, you know, I of course would expect them to give their honest opinion. And I appreciate it when, because I think, uh, I listen to the criticism and I, I do try to avoid pitfalls. Maybe I fell into with, you know, the first time try not to repeat those when I'm writing something new. Um, but I also think there are some people that just like criticizing and, and, uh, and just kind of, I, I find that when I, if I read a book and there are plenty of books that I'll start reading and I'm just not into and I'll set them aside and, and pick up a different book, but I don't immediately jump on Twitter and say that, you know, I DNF'd the book and, and, and I, and I hated it. And, and, uh, you know, sort of, I don't feel the need to share that. Um, so a lot of times with everything I do now, I just, I'll glance real quick and then, uh, and then just not obsess because it's just unhealthy. Jeez. I, I look for the people, I find them and I hunt them yeah. down and kill them. <laughs> Well, I can't, you know, sometimes, you know, that's happened in my head, uh, but, uh, but um, never for real. No, and, and the reality is that the, the more the noise takes you off your course, the, the less you'll do of work. You know what I mean? You're, you start focusing on all the stuff going around you, then uh, 
you're not you're not doing the same kind of writing. You know? Yeah, I uh, think if you're writing so, for an uh, I mean, if you're writing to make people happy, then you're you're not. You need to write a story that you are happy with, that you're good, that you enjoy. And it's not to say that you you aren't thinking about what what are the consequences of putting this out there. What are the you know is this story is this the right way to tell this story? And is this you know gonna are people gonna enjoy it? Because I think even the most disturbing story in the world. Uh, there's a way to enjoy that. And there's a way that it's written that it can be disturbing but enjoyable. I think, but uh, but if you're trying to please everyone, you're never gonna write a single word. No, it'll never happen. No. So you got to make a living out of making these people unhappy. I do that. I have for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite quite good actually. It's <laughs> it's lucrative. You can do well. Um, and so, but. I'd imagine too, like, cause the first book there, Kill Creek, had a lot of, uh, um, popularity with critics, as in, like, the Bram Stoker Award, uh, and, and shortlisted for that, and things like that, and the American Library, uh, Association. Did that make you feel a lot of pressure on the second book? It did a little bit. I think that I was so excited and pleased about the reception, um, for the most part of Kill Creek, and, and that, I think one of the most amazing things was waking up one day and seeing that Joyce Carol Oates had tweeted about Kill Creek and said nice things. And that was pretty amazing. Uh, there was a, a moment where, uh, I, after it came out that I, my family, I took my, my wife and I took our kids to New York and they'd never been to New York and we landed. Uh, and I turned my phone back on as we were landing there and there was an alert. You know, uh, I'd set a Google alert for Kill Creek and there was something that it was in basically had been mentioned in the New York Times Times that day and the, of, uh, for a book that they were currently you know, reading um, in their art section. And so that was amazing. I mean, I think that it was it was uh, you know, nominated for a Stoker and I and um, had a lot of, of wonderful people who championed it and really got behind it and, and enjoyed it. And I think that did go into when I was writing Violet. Um, that was definitely kind of in my head. You know, I, I think anyone would feel a little bit of that pressure if they've had some form of success uh, with something and then they're doing, you know, trying to emulate that and try to do that again. Um, and, uh, but, and, you know, at the end of the day, I just had to realize Violet is a very different book. It's a very more, much more of a character study. It's, it's, um, um, it's not as meta as Kill Creek is. It's not about horror. It's, and so, um, it was, uh, you know, really kind of pushing that, doing my best to, to push that out of my mind and, and not just like with the, you know, people's opinions, uh, on social media. It was really just, okay. I can't think about this. I have, to, I just have to write the best book I can and write the story the way that I feel like the story needs to be written and stop worrying about, are people going to like it? Or is it going to be the same uh, success as Kill Creek or people who read Kill Creek and like this one? Uh, the thing I like about Violet is it is very different. And if you read Kill Creek and you loved it, hopefully you'll enjoy Violet also, but you might not in the same way and vice versa. You might love Violet and then read Kill Creek and find it to be a different book because it is. It's, this is kind of the, I do in some way feel like stories, there are ways stories want to be told. And, uh, and I, and I think you're just sometimes along for the ride in how that story is unfolding. That's the exciting thing about writing. 
is the discovery and that, that it's a mystery to you. Even if you know all the broad beats of it, there are going to be moments you didn't see coming and that's fun. And that's exciting. And then you just have to go with it and not worry about, uh, you know, trying to win an award or trying to, you know, get the same people who liked one book to like the other. It's really just let the story unfold the way that it, it wants to unfold. When you talk about the story surprising you, have you ever had a character uh, do anything that uh, surprised you? Maybe they, you know, went off the rails and started doing something that they weren't supposed to do. <laughs> uh, have you ever had anything like that? Yeah, I have. Uh, I, you know, one thing that it's not necessarily a character um, doing something that surprised me, but one of the biggest things that happened, and I kind of mentioned this before vaguely, but one of the biggest things that happened with Kill Creek was, I was writing it and I, I knew what the plot was, but I didn't really thematically know what it was about. And uh, I wrote a chapter that isn't even in the book. It was a chapter about Sebastian, the, the older writer. He was at home uh, and it was a, a chapter kind of introducing him at home before he went to meet the other authors. And the whole chapter, the, the open, the beginning of the chapter was he, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees who he thinks a figure is standing at the foot of his bed. And there's a moment where he's very confused by this. And he thinks it's his, 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 uh, partner, his former lover who has died of cancer and, and is, is, uh, um, has been dead for a few years now. And he thinks it's him at the foot of his bed. And then he realizes, no, it can't be. He's, he's gone. It can't be him. And then it turns out to, you know, it's a coat that is, that he doesn't even remember hanging on the sort of post at the end of his bed. And, and all these, this confusion made me realize, wait, he's, he, it's, this seems more than just someone waking up in the middle of the night. This is actually as if he's trying to sort of pull memories back from some sort of murky place. And I, and I, in that moment, I realized he's showing the first signs of dementia and I hadn't planned that. It was just something that kind of came about. And then that became a huge part of his character that no one really, no one knows that he's, he's showing these signs of dementia and he is, it's terrifying to him, but he doesn't want everyone to know. And, uh, but it also means he's going to lose. He tells stories for a living and he is going to eventually lose his own stories. He's going to lose his own memories and they're going to be gone forever. Uh, he won't even remember, you know, uh, Richard, his partner, and he won't remember, uh, you know, who he is. And that became the, the, the theme of Kill Creek just because of that one little moment where he woke up confused in the middle of the night. Um, that became the theme that, uh, of these writers writing to be remembered and wanting to be remembered and desperately trying to sort of hold on to, to sort of moments in their life and turn them into stories so they'll live on. Uh, and, uh, and also a few characters trying to forget things that happened in their past, traumatic things that they don't want to remember, that they're trying to push down and keep hidden. And then, and then I realized that the house, um, the Finch house, uh, also needs these ghost stories about itself to, to live and to get to gain power it needs to be remembered if everyone forgets about it it's just a house in the middle of the country and it doesn't matter it's forgotten it could fall down no one would care but if everybody thinks it's this notorious haunted house that and everyone spreads the stories and tells the stories and keeps its memory alive then it continues to live 
And that all came from that one little moment in that chapter with that one character. Mm. Um, so if, um, if someone buys your book, one of them, takes it home and reads it, is there something you want them to take away from that book besides the story itself? Is there a subtext? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's necessarily a subtext. Um, I, I, I think that first and foremost, I would hope that they, that they feel for what the characters are going through, that it's not just the horror of, you know, whatever the kind of the hook is, um, that, that, you know, I really do try to write very character driven stories and, um, and, and to see that there's with, with, uh, with Kill Creek, especially, uh, a lot, some of these characters don't really like each other in the beginning, you know, they're very different. They don't necessarily get along, but, but, you know, one of the things that I hope they would get out of Kill Creek, um, that I think we all have struggled with in the past two years, a uh, year and a half during the pandemic, um, and with sort of every, uh, everything else, the, the divide that we all feel, um, in this country, I think that, um, I think I would hope that they, they read Kill Creek and they, and they see that everyone kind of eventually puts their differences aside. And when they're faced with a common enemy, they have to come together. They have to figure out a way to fight this thing. Um, and I, I would hope that that's a little bit comforting, uh, in a sense, even, even though I hope the story is scary and, and, uh, and, you know, leaves them, uh, bothered and unable to sleep. But, um, with, uh, you know, I, I just think it's the, the humanity of the characters with, with, uh, Violet, you know, my, my own father died of cancer. And, and, uh, so that's obviously has a, it plays a bit of a role in Kill Creek and it plays a much bigger role in Violet. And with Violet, I think it was about grief. It was about anyone who's experienced grief and hasn't really figured out how to deal with it. And I think that with that book, I would hope that, that, if you read it and you have experienced that kind of grief and, and you haven't quite figured out, you know, how to kind of put it behind you, it's, it, then this is a book that is about that. It's, it's hopefully is a little, makes you feel a little bit better because you see a character dealing with the same thing that she has. There's a lot of grief in her life that she's tried to ignore because, you know, at some point you're just supposed to get over it. You know, I think that's, that's easy for someone who hasn't gone through something or, or experienced a loss is, is that, you know, people will go, why, why are they still, you know, when are they going to get over it? You never get over it. Uh, you just find a way to live and, and, and sort of move on, but it's never gone. And that's really, uh, a huge part of Violet is that Violet herself has maybe been forgotten, but she's not gone. She's never been dealt with. Uh, she's been left there. And so just like, uh, Chris's grief in, in the book, Violet also is something that eventually it's going to rear its head and, uh, and she's going to have to deal with it. Um, and sometimes when those things have longer to fester, they, they're, they're tougher. They're worse. They're, they're even more disturbing than if they'd just been dealt with earlier. So, um, so I guess, you know, I, I, with everything I write, um, you know, the boy in the woods is a novella about, um, you know, a, a boy who is, at summer camp, he has a um, scarred face from a dog attack when he was little, and so a lot of the kids make fun of him. And he 
has to spend one more night at camp because his parents can't make it there to pick him up the day that all the other kids, kids get picked up. And, uh, of course, bad things happen. Uh, but, um, but it really is a story about bullying. It's a story about, about, uh, being different and feeling like you don't fit in and, and that, uh, and finding your strength and also finding, um, you know, uh, the finding that other people have gone through things as well. And, and that everyone, uh, you know, has a story to tell and everyone has gone through something. And when you start sharing those stories, it brings you together. If you try to, you know, if you try to ignore the fact that maybe you're going through something or you've gone through something, you end up being a bully. You end up taking that on on other people. So I, I guess as for subtext, I just, I think each one's different, but it's there. And I'd hope that, um, people find, uh, their own experiences in the things I write and that they find comfort in reading about those things. Yeah. Yeah. Like herpes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like herpes. Yeah. You have to, yeah. You're living with it. It's not going anywhere. anywhere. And eventually it raises every once in a while, it flares up and raises its head and you have to, you have to deal with it. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I was saying. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. uh, the theme of everything. That I could write. be your third book. Mm-hmm. Kill herpes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so do you have a um, website or do you, how do you like to interact with readers or fans? Uh, you know, I um, have, uh, you know, on Twitter, uh, definitely, um, I'm, uh, you can find me at Ninja Whenever, which is a combination of two um, Disney shows that I created. Um, and, uh, and then I do have a, uh, a website, um, that is, uh, just, uh, you know, I have to think about it for a second cause I, I very rarely visit myself, um, or at least, uh, but it's <laughs> scottthomaswriter.com. Um, and, uh, you can go there and you can, it, there are links to my books. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, Twitter and, and Instagram, uh, um, I have an official Instagram. Um, my own is, is private because I, I, you know, have a lot of uh, family pictures and stuff up there, but I, but I do love, you know, any, anytime I really like, you know, when, if pe- when people read the books and they tag me in it or something and they have, you know, if you look, if you hate it, don't tag me. I don't need to hear it. It's great. It's great that you hated it. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but, uh, but if you liked it and you tag me in it, I, I do love finding, you know, sort of meeting people that way. And, and there are so many wonderful um, people on uh, Instagram who who just read way more books than I could in a year, and uh, and you know it's a really fun community, and I've met a lot of wonderful people uh, that way. So um, so yeah, you know I'm out there. Uh, say some well, say whatever you want. Uh, maybe say something nice every once in a while. That's always fun. No, no, we only want to hear negative. That's true. Like, what's... <laughs> I get it. I get Come it. on. Well, what's what's next for you then? Like, where are you going now? Um, you got something else planned? Uh, yeah, you know, I I have, like I said, I, I'm I'm in the process of trying to um, trying to get Kill Creek and Violet uh, going as features, um, and uh, and then I'm I'm really I have a couple other features that I'm working on. Uh, and, um, you know, hoping to get those done in the next year or so. And, and then also just writing, really been having fun writing shorter stories and writing short stories and novellas. And, um, 
I have a huge list of, of story ideas that every time I think of something, I add it to this list and it's just getting out of hand. So I need to write them. Uh, so really the, I think the plan is, uh, to write over the next year, write those, try to get those out in, in a, a collection. And then, um, there's another novel that's sort of brewing in my brain that I'm hoping will, uh, will, will come together. I, I really, you know, I don't like to sit down and really start writing something until I, I know all the main beats of it and, and where it ends and how it ends. Even if that changes, I need that to write to and just sort of the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, this one's kind of slowly coming together and I'm hoping in the, uh, in the next, you know, six months or so, it'll really, uh, form into something that then I can just sit down and crank out. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, today we've been talking with, uh, author Scott Thomas. Um, thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Scott. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 